I talk about when I had um, all of you on the show and then I decided not to do a marker. (laughs) 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 And I don't think, I think there's several mistakes I've made in my life, I'll be honest with them, but that was probably right up there because I think I I actually, yeah, you get get mentioned because we're talking very quickly about recording recording things that have happened that have gone wrong and one of them was yeah when I was recording with the staying in boys one of them said you want to do a mark and I went no it'll be fine <laughs> you don't need I, honestly them. markers honestly oh my word I tell you what last time I actually had you on as an individual by yourself mm. I think you were moving I think you're possibly moving or just uh, you weren't too long about before I think you were I had about to just, move yeah had I had just moved I think maybe yeah so um, yeah, or just before moving, possibly. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, because then you were like, um, yeah, yeah, that was weird. Because then Chris, Chris was on by himself, and then I got Chris on with Tim Fowers. <laughs> wow, <laughs> just like, I know, that was great. Tim was just, I don't know. Tim was like, I just, I, I'm, I'm inviting somebody else along. Who is it? Um, it's a guy. That's all you need to know. <laughs> he loves your stuff. Okay, that's fine then. You and know. also, the great thing about podca- that podcast is how how ill Chris is. <laughs> <laughs> I know, of, and you of, can just hear the voice of a man who really wants to enjoy the experience. But it does. He's not. <laughs> it's always thought there should be a second thing where we have like this is sick Chris, and now we have super, super excited and well Chris. Yeah, kind of like the other side. But um, yeah, Tim was a Tim was a decent guy. I've just. Um, Right, let's do a marker because this is what happens. Eh? We're going to talk for yeah, fifteen we, minutes, and yeah, then we go. Yeah, oh, yeah better. See, so you're worried about we've got nothing to talk about, but <laughs> yeah, messed up there. Right, perfect, Mister Turner. Thank you. Um, you must. You should go into studio work or something like that. <laughs> hey, you should make it your life's work. You should do that. You should do that. In fact, out of everyone. Are you the person that's closest to have done something with your degree along the lines of what your degree was connected to? Or is that doctor? That, that's Chris, considering he has a doctorate. doctorate. He teaches drama and he studied it. I, I, I know, but, you know. Ah, well, there you go. That's the failure there, isn't it? I just, you know, messed that one up. <laughs> I'm probably having the most fun with a degree. <laughs> yeah, probably. You know, so Pete seems to be having more fun. Um, I did listen to that last episode and I was absolutely <laughs> wetting myself because I was painting at the time and I was like cutting in. Yeah. So it was right I was right up the corner and I was trying you know, you try and do a straight line. So oh, I was I trying hate, to do that. I try hate cutting cut, in. Try cut I hate cutting in. Cutting in's one of those things it's just I'll tell you what, I'll get as small a brush as possible <laughs> to do cutting in. And then you realise that doing as small as brush as possible when you're cutting in it just makes a mess. It just you just got you end up with a wiggly line unless you've got a ruler or masking tape. I couldn't use masking tape because it was on the it was on the coving and it would have stripped some of the paint that I just painted off the other week. And so I was like doing my straight line. <laughs> I'm quite proud of myself. And then Dan's Dan was um you know, he was he was talking about the results for the kind of who got closest round everybody's house running thing. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. The kinda, and he just goes and Pete, Pete being wonderful, Pete going. I was third. I was third. And in fourth place, <laughs> with sixty miles. <laughs> Bless it's him. just like 
it was obviously one of those things where it sounded to me like Dan had taken it really, really seriously because he said, mm-hmm. well, I'll go out for a run later and I'll be done. Yeah. <laughs> just a little bit of well, well, you wait till the... Because we just recorded our, like, not really Christmas special, but kind of because we wanted to, we wanted to keep to a strict schedule. So the next one's going to be out on the first. Yeah. Um. So... But it'll be the one where we open up our gifts to each other and kind of, you know, mention it and all that kind of stuff. But there, there is a big surprise on that show about oh. that challenge and possibly the funniest thing that Pete has ever done is also <laughs> part of it. And yeah, so just make sure you're not painting oh, or COVID. I will, or... I will just, no, I can't, I can't wait. <laughs> I just really, I just, I don't know. I sometimes, I said this before, I sometimes think that either Pete is like, Claudius, Emperor Claudius, who is just <laughs> he's just making everybody pretend that he's completely kind of like not connected at all, mm-hmm. you know, with um, you know Alexander Hamilton, da, 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 da. and <laughs> and I was listening, I was just like, and he just comes out with a random thing. He goes, you know, like a pop star, like Madonna, and you're just like, what? <laughs> and I think he's either putting it on. Like I Claudius, and then he's going to wait until everybody's looking the other way, and he's just going to take over the world, yeah, with his with his pop history and stuff like that. Anyway, um, I suppose I better do an intro. Five Go minutes in, we're going pretty good. Yeah, we're doing <clears> well. <laughs> I, could do, I could do a pretend staying in one. I've got like a gl- a glass. Oh, so can could... you make me some more foley stuff? Because <laughs> I keep on some... like the stuff that you made last time was brilliant. Just like just th- this is the main reason I'm coming back on. Just so you'll do more foley work for. <laughs> I don't know. Um, okay. Um, right. Okay. Ready. Are you ready? This is going to be. Board games we've played. Stuff we've read. And Sam Turner from Staying In. This is We're Not Wizards. Do you like that? <laughs> I think that's incredible. Um, I mean, in the in the new year, we're hoping to um, do some of our foley our foley work again. Because if you listen to the podcast, the whole idea of the podcast is that we're just people staying in it's very yeah. original it's and fantastic throughout the podcast how we split it up is the process of making a making and then drinking a cup of tea that's the idea and so we're going to be redoing those sound effects at some point in the new year and i've had to try really hard to find myself a kettle that has a sat that has that satisfying click uh, but, Russell, I mean, Russell Hobbs are always good. I think you need an older one. <laughs> Who's he? Yeah, he's got a really good kettle. <laughs> I don't know. That's sort of nicked my last one. <laughs> I just don't know why you can't do it. <laughs> <Why>? <laughs> it's a oh my goodness! It's a make a kettle. But no, I, I think I did because every time you've been on, I've actually stood near a kettle and recorded it, <laughs> kind of clicking off, so I get the kind of the sound. Anyway. It doesn't matter. People are going to be... Because, you know, I'm at this point now where we just... We open proceedings and we just talk and then there might be an intro, there might not be an intro. But it is kind of Christmas time, I guess. Mm-hmm. Is it kind of Christmas? It is kind of, it is kind of marching on. It is very on. much Christmas time. It yeah. is very, very much kind of Christmas time. So I thought... <laughs> I didn't think anything. 
I think you kind of said, shall we get together and have a chat? And it's always good to have you on. Um, Thank you. Which is always fun. Um, for people who are listening at home and people are going, what is going on? Have you been drinking? Are you enjoying the season? It's like, yes, I am. I've got some seven up. And you know what? I've been a little bit cheeky and I've put some diluting juice in it as well. So there goes my teeth. <laughs> some to my diluting tongue. juice. Oh, yeah. some squash. Diluting juice. No, hang on. No, hang no, on. hang on. Right, okay. Hang, hang on. <laughs> right, okay. Can, let's park this for a second. Hello, welcome <laughs> to We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be host for this evening. Joining me tonight is the man. Is the man with a plan. He's the king of diluting juice. Sometimes he goes out, sometimes he stays in with him and his pals and they play board games and they chat all about comics and geeky stuff and just general brilliance because joining me is Mr. Sam Turner. Hello. Hello, Hello, Mr. Sam Turner. (laughs) Right, anyway, get back to you. I've done the intro now so we can just continue cracking on. Um, Squash. No, it's not. It's squash. It's not. Okay, what can can we agree one thing that it isn't is juice? Um, well, technically, the stuff that I'm drinking does contain actual fruit juice, so technically... But this is a Scottish thing, because I know that Scottish people call juice for anything that is a sweet drink, basically. Okay. That it contains See, I, I lived fruit. in Scotland for three years, and I never encountered... I, it's diluting juice. It's just squash. How's it squash? Where do you get squash from? I mean, it's not like it's written. Know. It's not like it's written on the side of the bottles or anything, like, I know. isn't it? I know. Rob- it's, it's... Robinson's called it squash. Yeah, I think it's just a maybe. It's just one of those marketing things like tannoy um, and <laughs> jacuzzi. Yeah. Hoover. <laughs> yeah, it's just squash. It's just come in. There's a whole thing about it. Of course, there's always been the kind of like, what do you have for your evening meal? Is it dinner or is it tea? It depends mm. where you are. Besides, anyway, we're not here to talk about colloquialisms. I don't even know what that is. And some words. <laughs> it's been a while since we spoke board games. Well, it's been a while since we caught up. But yeah. I noticed that on the podcast you were talking. Um, you think you continually kind of talk about things like? Um, well, Pete was talking about Transformers. Yeah, oh, and yeah, he was the also new, um, oh, card game. Yeah, and he was also talking about Keyforge. Oh yes, yes. Should we talk about Keyforge? Let's talk about Keyforge because okay. I am. I must say that I was one of the lucky people that got give that right. Okay, let's. Sorry, I'm jumping ahead okay. of myself. There is a wonderful person at the club that I go to whose name begins is na- he's named he's called Andrew. And he's a wonderful, okay. fantastic human being. And he's the type of person that he just goes out and buys things. And he saw Keyforge was there. And what he saw, he knew it was going to be selling out. So he went online and he bought like several copies of Keyforge. And then what, he came. The starter? Yeah, the starter starter. one. Oh, and wow. then he came along to the club and he basically said, Look, I want to play this game. Yes, you can get a deck by itself. But the best thing for you to do is to, here's a starter set, because you get your tokens, you get your mm. keys, you get your power cards, you get your, um, yeah, you get your power cards and things like that, yeah. Um, so here you go. So he just like split up, he split a box up between a couple of us and just gave a couple of us kind of random packs and some of us the tokens. So he's a wonderful, wonderful mm, human that's being. That's really nice. 
and it is really kind of really really nice. Um, I played it. I've played it quite a few times, but I mean, how 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 how's your experience been with it, kind of so far? Um, I'm I like it. The I'm liking it more and more every time I every time I play it. Um, mm. And I think I struggled with it when I first started to play it because with every other like LCG game that I've that I've had, I know Keyforge isn't an LCG, but it comes from that kind of environment, that kind of genus, I guess. Like, you know, when I first played Magic, I was just like, well, I want to go and get more decks now. I want to experience more of the of what it's got to offer. And when I like played Netrunner, it's like, oh, I really want to buy more expansions and see what see what more of that world has to offer. And then there's Keyforge and you play it. And I was playing it. I was like, "Oh, this is this is quite a fun game. This is, you know, this is really interesting." And I'm, and my my initial reaction was exactly the same to when I played Magic and Netrunner and and things like that. It's like, "Oh, I want to buy more decks now. I want to try and experience more of of what the game is." Mm. And I really um, thank myself a bit for holding back on that initial sort of rush of adrenaline because having held back from buying more decks, I think I've grown to appreciate the game a lot more because you realise that there's no rush to go out and buy new decks. There's no advantage in going out to buy other decks because they're unique. Like you you buy a deck and it might be brilliant, it might not. It might be better than someone else's, it might not, but it will always be unique. So really there's no way that you're going to get ahead from buying tons and tons of decks yeah so really you it's all about learning the decks that you that you've got at the moment and and trying to use the mechanics that are in them to make to make the most out of them for me that's an interesting prospect and something i've not really had in a game before um Maybe other than something like Star Realms, I guess. Yes. But in a bit more of a concentrated um, diluting squash or diluting juice version. <laughs> um, but yeah, but basically what I'm saying is like, I think that that prospect of sitting down with a deck and having to learn it and know it and be aware of how it works and what is actually inside it and unlocking that potential within it. Like that for me is the fun of Keyforge. Um and that's why I, I'm really liking it the more and more I play. Because the more I play, the more I understand the decks that I'm playing with. And then each time I, I'm playing against someone I go, well, I, oh yeah, I remember to do that this time and play that card with that card. And I, you know, I recognize when to do combos and uh, get sequences of cards out into the into the play area at the right time, and that it's just, it's just such a satisfying experience um, that I haven't had the urge to to really go out and get a new deck yet because I'm still learning the the two that I got in the starter deck. Do you want a really bad analogy? Go for it. Love them. Okay, Keyforge mm-hmm. is like walking into a guy's clothes shop and you walk up to the counter and you yeah. ask for an outfit 
And the guy goes to the back and he just picks five random things, puts them on the counter and gives you them. Do you think and so? Then, pretty much. And then you have to deal with the outfit that you've been given. Things like magic, yeah. Yeah. Magic is a case that you, when you're outside the shop, you can look at all the fashions and all the mannequins and you can see what the trends are and what everybody's kind of wearing this season. And you can go in and if you need that hat or you need that jacket or you need those trousers, you can just go ahead and you can buy it. And that <clears throat> generated a trend that basically for mm-hmm. a while, especially in magic, is everybody's looking like they're wearing the same outfit. There's yep. occasionally a different hat. There's an occasional different shoes. But once everybody knows what the the fashion for the season was, everybody's wearing exactly the same thing. What I like about what I kind of like about Keyforge, <clears throat> and I've got issues about it, and I'll go into that in a, in, down the line. But what I like about Keyforge is the fact that everything is unique, mm-hmm. and you'll come out with like a set of flippers. Some Bermuda shorts, a tuxedo jacket, a baseball cap that goes on backwards, and a cravat. And you're just going to have to wear that, son. You're just going to have to deal with that stuff. You know, or you might come out with like a mini skirt, you know, a set of Doc Martens, you know, a a slide for your hair. And you're just going to have to rock that the best that you can. And that's what I kind of like about Keyforge is that it must have baked so many people's noodles when they went... Oh, this is a money sink because in order to, if I want to get anything better, I'm going to have to go out and buy another deck. And it's yeah. like, yes, but still, then you cannot guarantee you're going to get a good deck. Which yeah. to me, and that, and that, that's amazing. That that's what I felt. Um, that was my initial. You know, it was. Oh, this deck's good, but I bet there are better decks out there. So I'll just go and buy more decks rather than what I think Richard Garfield wants you to do is to learn the deck. And if you know what your deck is capable of and how it works and how it can respond to different play styles and different houses um, within the game, then you will, I think you will be just as competitive as, as a good deck. Um, Cause I've never, I've not had, I've only had sort of two sort of gaming um experiences with it and played with a unique deck each time and i've not had i've not felt like i've been steamrolled by a particular deck um yet um i've not felt it's at all imbalanced in the way that the algorithm has sort of treated me at the moment but yeah i think that there's i think they've managed because of the way that they're doing the cards and because they've not decided to go for multiple many factions that have always yeah. been able to kind of manage that so there is always you're a, you know the Argo is going to be some kind of cards that you know that you're going to play I mean I've um, the deck I've the deck I'm currently playing with um, has got some absolutely what you would call fantastic cards in it and you lay it down and you think yeah I'm definitely going to going to mm-hmm. take it but I'm still I don't know about you but I'm currently I was in the mindset for a while that if I had, say, five Broadener cards or whatever, or five Hunter cards or whatever, that I would play all of those cards as opposed to playing other cards from my hand, just because it's like, oh, look, there's all of these. So I better play all of these rather than just mm-hmm. a couple, you know? Yeah. I, I think, well, that, but the game forces you to make those kinds of decisions, which is, which is why that, why, 
an- another great thing where it breaks away from that mold of magic and netrunner, I guess, is that there is no cost to playing cards um, other than they've all got to be from the house that you pick at the start of your turn. Mm-hmm. And but that forces you to make those kinds of decisions. Is this is like, well, I can get all of these cards down in this turn, but I know this deck now. I know how this how this works. If I can just put a couple of these down first, that might give me a bit more of a solid base going forward into the into the into the game, which which is completely sort of the inverse to Magic, which is a game of sort of uh, overt strength, like. The more creatures you can put down quicker, the yeah. better chance you've got of of winning because you've got that overt strength on the board. Yeah. Whereas in Keyforge, you're holding, and that and this is some of the the criticism I've heard about it is because you're sort of holding everything in your hand and you can you're sort of plotting two or three turns ahead because you don't have to worry about whether all the right trees and lands and volcanoes are going to turn up to let you bloody do anything like in magic yeah i know you can a lot of it is a lot of someone else's turn is just you sitting there trying to work out silently what you can do two or three turns ahead based on like the houses that you pick um but but again i like that and i think it's just that's just a change of mindset it's just a change of habit when playing a card game i think games like magic are just been ingrained so thoroughly within well not you because you don't play it but for me <laughs> for I me still bit- i still i i must admit see to this day i have blissfully escaped the entrapment of magic i do have a deck and it sits okay. there and it sits just there. sits there it just sits there it doesn't have to do anything occasionally i will take out a card and i will flick it across the room in mild disdain <laughs> Um, but I've so, never. So, so, as someone who's never played it, because obviously, for me, the interesting Keyforge is from a position of Richard Garfield, pretty much making a game which goes against everything that is in is integral to the design of Magic: The Gathering. There's no mana system. It's you don't. It's not a pay-to-win construct. You're not collecting cards. You're not building decks. Um. Like so, so for me, that that's where the interest comes from. Is like, is learning, it's seeing a game that not only breaks the design rules of Magic, but also learning as a player to break those rules when I play. So for you, what you know, what's your sort of early impressions of Keyforge been? Because you don't have those histrionics. So do you know embedded. what? Do you know what annoyed me? The lack of rules. I mean, what? Oh, I mean, starter set. Fan- yeah, Fantasy Flight for ages mm. have been a champion of rules, and they've 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 kind of served the whole rule thing quite well with kind of like here's a basi- here's a beginner as your beginner. This is what you play. You want to get into this. This is how you press the buttons. This is how you get involved. This is how you kind of play. And then um, and then they've had the most the kind of the expanded rules, which has been copied across a kind of a couple of places. You know, I've seen it root did it after. Ding ding mentioned root yep. episode. Hello, um, <laughs> but <laughs> I sat there and went, "Oh, here's a brief explanation," and then it seems to be, "Oh, we're we're going to push you online, kids." I know yep. you're not sure, but here you're going to get pushed online, and then we're going to push you online even further by saying, "Okay, you're going to have to register your deck 
and um, I uh, yeah, so that that kind of grated with me because if I'm going to be playing an analog game, I don't really want to be sitting there with my phone kind of checking rules because once it's out and once it's there, it's too easy to say, oh, I'll just check check the rules here and check the rules there. And I like to be able to kind of kind of do that. Um, I agree. I, with you. I, I I and I agree with you from that. The, it's it's a strange move coming from Fantasy Flight as well because. They, um, Chris and I, another one of the hosts in the Stadium podcast, are working our way through the Arkham Horror card game. Mm-hmm. You know the um, the LCG of that, yeah. And because we kind of play it like months on and months off, like we have so much time away from the game. Fantasy Flight just have a fantastic, you know, just just that glossary book of terms. Just so whenever we come across something, it's super easy just to go flick through that. Oh, right, that's how this works. We're back in the game. And to not have that in a starter set of Keyforge is, yeah. Well, what I said on the podcast, and I know it's kind of recycling material here, is that I think, well, I just don't know who the start that starter set is for. Because if you like, if you're the kind of person who really, who knows about Keyforge and wants to get on board right from the start, you don't need the starter set because you probably have enough tokens lying around from another of enough from other games to you, to create your own pool of tokens, and you probably have the resources to just get that rule book and print it out and do whatever you want from it. So I just yeah. don't know who that initial starter set is for. Really, I don't know who the I think I don't know who the cards were for. No. I think maybe there must have been an executive decision made to say. Um, we want we want tokens. We want recognisable property for the game because down the line it allows us to luxuriate them and you know lu- luxuriate them, luxify <laughs> them, upgrade them, do whatever yeah. we want to do. I don't think the teaching deck was needed because the other thing is as well is the teaching deck doesn't <laughs> doesn't teach you. Well, I because, think you I, know. I, I, in, in their defence, I think what the teaching I think what the teaching deck does is that at least for your first game, it gives a balanced view of what Keyforge is. Oh yeah, because absolutely. They, they wouldn't be able to guarantee that they just bung in two random decks, and then one person has a deck which just naturally overpowers the other one, and then suddenly you've got quite a bit of first exposure of Keyforge. Yeah, but I guess on the other side of it, though, there's very little explanation as to um, archiving stuff and bring it back, bringing it kind of back mm. into the game. I was kind of expecting, kind of, I know they've got kind of like what the power, what the powers are and stuff like that, um, as in you know the the power up cards you can put on people. I was kind of expecting them to even have like a, a kind of a quick reference card. Yeah, which I was kind of surprised. Yeah, yeah. I was kind of surprised at that they have they had a specific card for the characters, and obviously the 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 two decks, the starter decks that you get, they're good fun. And I played, you know, I played a few games with my son, and he absolutely destroyed me. And I felt a couple of the cards on there were just a bit, oh, okay, um, that's a bit op. I don't know why that is, but at the same time, there wasn't really anything to help you understand kind of archiving. There wasn't really anything to understand for a starter deck. There didn't seem to be anything to help you understand chaining. No, there's nothing of I've I've not I've not had a deck yet which allows me to do anything with chaining. See my deck I've got just now's got chaining in it. 
Because mm. it's got like one of these powerful cards that just says, do you know what I mean? It's like set fire to the table in front of you. Yeah. And then you put yeah. like, you know, five chains on and you're like, yep, you're all going to die. But then, you know, that's you. You're then reduced to the number of ticks. But there isn't, and there wasn't, this was, it was like one of those awkward moments where you're sitting across from the person that you're playing um, and he was saying, are you sure chaining works? I was like, I'm not sh- I don't know anything mm. at all. So we turned to to, and, to Andrew, who's been playing it, and he says, Andrew, could you explain chaining? And it's still, he was kind of, yes, he knew exactly what he was talking about, but I was thinking if he wasn't sitting there, what am I meant to do? Am I meant to go through my, you know, go through, it's stopping a game as opposed to just yep. saying, here's your reference and thing, and that that was it. Um, yeah, don't understand the size of the box. The trench <laughs> thing just really... <laughs> That's just a typical fantasy flight thing. Because there's somebody that sits in the board meeting and just you know they're called they're called trench guy or something because every guy you know it's like oh let's hope trench guy doesn't come to the meeting you know <laughs> and and he sits there in the corner and you know and and everybody's going through the box designs and everything like that and you can just see him like pushes his version of the keyforge box on the table and he goes you know we're gonna have a, we're gonna have a trench we're gonna yeah, have a trench. That's... Don't get it. No, it's just, it's the same with um, Arkham Horror. We we've had to because we we bought so many expansions now. We've had to get rid of that inner trench lining um, just to fit everything in. The same with um, Cosmic Encounter. That's just a storage box now. I've got rid of all the trenches that that came <laughs> with because it's just uh, no room. And it's the same. Well. Um, what else? I, I got rid of I got rid of it because I'm just like well, so, so for my Keyforge deck I've repurposed an old um, like fat box from Magic. You won't know about yeah. this because you don't play it, but you can get like fat boxes, which is like uh, sort of side loading card boxes, so you can just put all the cards in there with dividers. Because uh, what okay. the, what they expect me to do with the cards is like put them, throw them loose into that big box after I finish with them, or wrap them up in bag of them in elastic bands. I know. Yeah, but um, yeah, I know. But it's just like people going to conventions, just like with like like medicinal bags of Keyforge cards. Like, just looks. I just think that there could have been a more of an elegant solution. Like, you know, the pack that you get your Keyforge deck in. Maybe that could have, rather than having to be ripped open all the time, maybe that could have been turned inside out to actually make like a yeah. proper deck box to keep your deck in that you could then personalize or at least name. You know, there's, it feels like with the starter deck, again, I just don't know who it's for. And it just feels like there's lots of bad decisions that have gone into that design. Um, maybe it was cheap decisions. I mean, I'm well, not being funny, but it's probably, I mean, it sounds strange, but it's probably, there's been some costing exercises that have taken place with that. And you've got to understand that Fantasy Flight are taking a massive risk with this, whichever way you look at it. Obviously, they invested in the technology. They've had the print and play technology for, you know, well, I don't mean print and play, print and demand, rather. They've had that technology for a while. So for certain games, when you ordered it, you know, they just they didn't have it in stock. They just printed it for you, kind of there and then, which was kind of cool. And I reckon this was a massive gamble on their part. So there was part. I I think they sealed the boxes because they didn't want somebody sitting around like um, 
sitting around going through the boxes, which is why they decided to seal to glue them shut as opposed to using a tuck oh, right, box. So, yeah. so you didn't have people kind of going through and saying, um, "Oh yeah, huh, you know, I don't want that one, or I want a really, you know, I kind of want a really kind of rude one." What's your take on the the kind of the dodgy names? Do you right, think shall that I, shall was? I get my, shall I get my two decks? Hang on, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll sh- share the names. Hang on. Yeah. Hang on. <laughs> if not, at least one of them isn't called kind of like Bumface. I'm going to be sorely disappointed. So we'll work. see. See, so comes. You can hear him. He's untucking the boxes now. He's going into his drawers. <laughs> <laughs> he's right, okay, he's a man on a mission. He's got them. My box here. I was just filling in for you, Turner. You're fine. All right, okay, so the first deck is called. It's called Power Bit, the major domo of the facility. Domo. Okay. It's in. It's in but domo major bit. domo is all one word. So major major domo. Right, okay. And Nesting House, the Seemingly Spiky. <laughs> I, do, so, I can't remember what it means, I'm going to get mine. Mines are just over here. Go, go Where's my it. box gone? I'm just going to get it, like. It's interesting to have people walking away from the microphone. It's covered of joy. <sighs> Oh my goodness! Oh, you're making those involuntary noises when I'm getting out of the seat. Do you ever do that? Now you yeah. kind of get up and you go, "Oh!" And you go, "Who I, is I, that?" I find I find that it's not because I'm aching. It's just to let people know that I'm still here. You know, <laughs> I, I am the typical old man. You know, um, <laughs> it's it's just like one of those. I get kind of get up and stretch back and go, "No!" You know, I find I find myself calling. You know, having having a having a nice bit of having a nice piece of meat or something, and, and commentating on it, or you know, at the end of the meal, passing some kind of judgment, and just in general, just saying something. Oh, that was a lovely bit of pork, wasn't it? <laughs> kind of like, <laughs> you know. And it's just my like, when did when did my, I start my, doing that? I know um, one one of the things that we reference quite a lot is when I was first um, dating my fiance. We went out for a meal with her family. And there was just a breaking conversation, and um, <laughs> I'd noticed just a like a salt spreader going back past in the in the window of the the thing, and completely out of nowhere, I went, "Oh, gritters are out!" <laughs> just as completely like the most middle aged thing I've ever said. There's for no apparent reason, just like, "Oh, gritters just that's are what, out." That's what they looked at me. He's a keeper. <laughs> he, appre- he appreciates the joy of road safety. Do I hear the most boring name? Or because you know the key forge. Um, it's um, Derus mm-hmm. Garden Tutor. Okay. I'm going to leave a gap there for silence because so obviously we can mourn how rubbish this was. But then on the other side of it, as I was saying, my original point is. Do you think there was a marketing meeting where somebody says, let's just keep the rude names in because we need to get a bit of publicity? 
Well, I'm just looking now at some um, unfortunate Keyforge names that people have posted online, like Cliff Mon, the organ scholar of the forest. Yeah. <laughs> There's um, the villain that digs up porridge. Um, That's brilliant. General Bone Rider cult. And I think the the one that made the most the most headlines was Titan Flayer, the farmer of racism. Now, <laughs> I don't know if that's been photoshopped or not. Because why, as Fantasy Flight, would you put racism in the you know the list of the list of list of words like Regital Fjord, soft sophomore, like. The survivor who grimaces at politics, like what? and there's no way, there's no way. That's not that. That's question time. That's what that is. And joining <laughs> us tonight, we've got the survivor who grimaces at politics. You know, it's that kind of thing. That's a nonsense. The thing with this, right, is I've got my keyforge deck in my hands, Mister Turner, mm-hmm. and and it's in one of those plastic lock bags that you have. So I've got all my yep. tokens and my three keys, and then I've got my. My stun cards. Yeah. And I've got my power cards. And that's all I need. And the whole thing fits in a rather kind of small... Exactly. And that's it. That's all you need to take with you. It's kind of ridiculous. But then on the other side of it, have you seen Discover? The other game that was just procedurally generated. Yeah, and I've not heard such positive things about that... Um, and I wonder whether that's because it's more of a traditional board game. And I think that when you're, a, I think it is a testament to board game design that it needs to be. You, I don't think you can rely on procedurally generating stuff to create a a a, a solid board game. Whereas a card game is a little bit different because a card game, a lot of how the card game works is player input. Whereas a board game, it's the relationship is a bit of the other way around. It's what the board game gives to the player that makes that makes a game. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I think that um, a procedurally generated board game would always need to have something strong at the backbone behind it, mm-hmm. and therefore could never be procedurally generated. Kind of thing. Yeah. I don't think. I think if you're only changing kind of the con, the kind of the content. Um, you can't take random elements. You can't take random elements and add them in a board game and expect them to to work. Well, you it's know, like c- a, a, from what I've seen of it, it's like they randomly generated the wrong the wrong bits. So how I understand it is that certain story elements are randomly generated, or certain cards or items you get within it. Is that right? Um, I've, do you know what? It's kind of like it's really strange because it is one of these things that I'm like you. I've kind of not, I've kind of not looked at it. I've no. heard too many people. I heard Dan, Dan Hughes from Sporadically Bored talk about um, talk about it, and Mike Delisio uh, again kind of talking about it, and they were just saying that if you get the wrong stuff, you're kind of stuck with the wrong stuff because you kind of mm-hmm. start off with kind of like different kind of environments and if you if you get something you don't like then it automatically I think it kind of would wane your enthusiasm I think the thing about Keyforge in its ridiculousness is it is pretty ridiculous 
Yeah. Um, in terms of you've got aliens versus some kind of bull-shaped bear monster ogre type things and you know you've got a mixture of fairies and elves and everything like that so at its core when you look at it it looks absolutely just it looks like you've said to like a seven-year-old kid go and design a card game you know and they've come back with all the designs in the world and they've said well you know aliens would be cool and boars would be cool and bears would be cool and giants would be cool and then elves would be cool and yeah let's let's put all that together and 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 you and me playing games like this for a while would have sat there and went this is nonsense I'll never take off where they've just went well you know we don't care and I think that's um, baking the noodle of a lot of folk that like the lore okay because the lore is something that I've not even I don't I don't care I don't think it matters does it but that procedurally generated thing is quite interesting because there are a couple of board games where that actually really works. And I think that's where they procedurally generate the right, the right stuff that they leave the core rules of the, of the game untouched, but procedurally generate it, allow you to procedurally generate parts of the game in order to keep it fresh as a player. So for example, um, Burgle Brothers. Uh, by yes. Tim Powers yes. has an app where you can procedurally generate where the so if you've not played Burgle Brothers before it's a um, it's a heist game a cooperative heist game where each time you play you lay out random tiles on a grid and on those tiles define where like the safes are the laser rooms you know the traps and the computer rooms all that kind of stuff is and also where the walls go in between those rooms. So, um, so there's an app which allows you to um, procedurally generate where those walls will go in order to create certain play styles, like make it harder for you as a player or make it slightly easier in terms of the configuration of where the patterns of the walls are. And then also um, Chris and I have been playing Cryptid by Osprey Games recently and that also has um an app which allows you to procedurally generate um how the uh, map system is is laid out so cryptid is a hidden movement game where um no one knows where the hidden object is like there's no overseer yeah, yeah. um who's who is like trying to hide from all the players um and what will happen is each player gets a certain rule of where this imaginary cryptid is. So like, for example, the cryptid is in water or is one space to the left of a certain coloured structure. And as you play, you slowly work out what are the rules the players are working towards. And then you build that pitch in your head and then you can finally figure out where the, where the cryptid is on what specific square. So as well as a big, large rule book that has all that information in it, there's also an app that procedurally generates that all for you, generates all the clues for all the players. So there's an endless possibilities with that game. And it just feels like if you're going to do randomization in a board game, if you're going to do um, make it try and feel unique, I just don't think you can touch any of the core mechanics or what makes that game great. You just have to build a game that allows you to allow it to regenerate again and again and again and 
and be flexible in kind of its play state rather than how it plays, I guess. Yeah, and I think the common thing with both of those games is that they've got an app, mm. which I don't know if Discover, as far as I'm aware, there isn't an app for Discover. So I think you're playing I th- with I think whatever. all the random stuff just comes Just comes out of the box. Yep. And we'll see. We'll see. Um, <clears throat> I hope people give it a chance, though. I'm kind of worried that it's, all it takes is like a couple of key people just to say, oh, this is going to be rubbish. We don't want to play it. And then that'll be it. It'll be dying a death. And the next thing you know, it'll be like, it'll be twenty three ninety nine on Amazon like Seafall is. But do we, but you know, like, do we need it? Like, do we need a a, a unique board game? Is it just a a way of selling a board game? Because surely, the way that I've gotten into the hobby is someone playing a game and going, "Oh, this is brilliant! Let me show you it." You know, this is how it plays. These are mechanics. You can buy this off the shelf, and you can have that experience at home. Whereas. When you've got something like um, this, it's just like, oh, brilliant. I had a great time with it. You could buy it off the shelf, but it might not be. In fact, it, it might not be anything like you've just played. So that's a 20, 30 quid gamble. Yeah, I think for some people it's just too much. And also at the end of the day, isn't every board game kind of like a new experience considering like there's a lot of, I know there's a lot of chase of the new, search yeah. for the shiny get yeah. stuff to the table and I know a lot more people are like they're playing a game sometimes for the sake of playing a game because they know they've spent money on it so it's like unless you're going out and you're playing a game like three four times um, a lot of the games you know the, the, it's nothing Discover isn't that exciting or that new because people might not bring it to the table again for the second and third time anyway so you know what's kind of kind of unusual about it. I'll just I'll just need to see. I know that like I know that um the problem with I mean I've seen it with legacy games and I mentioned you know I mentioned twenty three ninety nine. The reason I mentioned twenty three ninety nine is because that's the current price of Seafall on Amazon. Wow. And I'm thinking I remember when that was seventy quid. I, I saw Seafall for sale during Black Monday for fifteen quid. I would have got it. Just to see what it was like, just to see what you know what was, what was so bad. Seafall is one of these things that if somebody if somebody got me a copy of Seafall, I would say thank you very much. I would actually be very happy that I got a copy of Seafall because I I wouldn't have paid for it. Um, <laughs> but on the other side, I'm intrigued to know kind of what 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 kind of went. Why is it so bad? What did it, you know? What kind of happened with it? What kind of went wrong with it? Because I remember it coming out and people saying, "Right, yeah, this is the next big thing." I think Plaid Hat Games, I think, yeah. published it, and 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 it was was it Rob Davio's yeah. kind of. I think he was yeah he was involved and he just came away from it saying, actually, um, to be perfectly honest, it probably was maybe seventy five percent of the way there for the way I wanted it to be but it was it was new we were just learning we had no idea what we were doing and i'm just wondering if you know are people look people seem to be looking for the next big thing to sell, sell games and you don't need the next big thing to sell games no cuz games are doing fine without the next big thing to sell games yeah there's hundreds of board games getting released they don't need a usp they just need to be bloody good fun good cuz everyone you thought know. that legacy was going to be the big thing to to yeah. sell games it's just not it's just not happened like 
pandemic came out and set the world alight, quite rightly so. But again, the reason why Pandemic Legacy did really well is the same reason every board game does really well. It was based upon a really solid set of mechanics that yeah. worked and it just iterated off that. And yeah. you know, that which is why Pandemic Legacy Season Two wasn't reviewed probably in the broadest spectrum as well as the first one because they changed the formula of how Pandemic worked. And so with legacy games, there's never been that kind of game that they found to turn into a legacy version that has been as solid as Pandemic as Pandemic was. I guess the one that I've been most interested in recently is, is the legacy version of Betrayal at the House on the Hill. Yeah, I've seen people talk about that, but I've seen people talk about it with a little bit of no. not concern, but reserve on whether or not they should be picking it up. Because I think legacy was excitement and then legacy games that have come out have not fulfilled I mean I mean Charterstone I was mad daft to get Charterstone and I will get it at some point but it comes down to the same thing I need to make sure that I'm sitting around with the same person for the next 8 times or 10 times or 12 times or 20 times that we play yeah and that's about that's a lot of commitment considering that again Every couple of weeks, one of us might get sent a board game or get a new one in or get one an old one through the sale or somebody just might dust something off the corner, you know, off the off the shelf and say, let's play this instead. So I think one of the things that's maybe against legacy games is the commitment side of things, because I know a lot of folk have said I kind of got through four rounds of Charterstone then we ended up playing something else for the change and then we kind of never went back. So I think mm. there's that There's that kind of thing. I still want to play I th- it. I think there's, um, there's, there's something in Betrayal Legacy that interests me because I think in an in a, in a intriguing way, I think it fixes many of the problems that I have with the base version of Betrayal at the House on the Hill. Um, so what I've heard about it is that it has an an, an ancestry leg- so the, the legacy elements of it are based in ancestry so each game you play you are playing the descendants of the people who you played before investigating the house have you played portrayal the house on the hill um no i haven't i'm sorry okay. i'm a terrible terrible human being that <laughs> so i find i actually end up talking about people who play board games more than i end up <laughs> kind of playing you, them you, you know is, how it works, though, don't you? Yeah. Betrayal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so each each time you play with your group of players, you're playing as you know the descendants of the people exploring this house, and so already that embellishes for me and um, uh, makes betrayal at the house on the hill a better game because immediately you've got a lot of you're not just playing as ox bellows again you know mm-hmm. you're playing as ox bellows the third you know the third person's generation to investigate this this haunted house like what you're going to find in it and then that um that legacy element of being an, an an ancestor goes down into the items so in your game you could discover an item you name it and then that goes into your family line and then one of your descendants can then discover that item later on 
through their through their playthrough. So that for me also makes the things like items and um, artifacts within the game a lot more appealing because I don't think they are now in the base game of Betrayal. And what that also does is it means that you don't necessarily have to play with the same people every time that you play it as a legacy game because the people who you're playing with essentially set up the legacy of the house. Like the yeah. legacy is held within the boundaries with the boundaries of the house, which means anyone can essentially pop up and visit the house and walk around yeah. and they just set up a new line of descendants. It doesn't, ma- it doesn't matter that Auntie Joan isn't playing every single, every single time because it just, because <laughs> it, it just might be narratively that her descendants finally figured out that every time one of them goes up to this haunted house, they die and then <laughs> they never come back. Have you got and, an Auntie Joan, Sam? No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't be a pluck that from. I don't know where I got that from. And then the other thing it solves is for me is it makes death doesn't feel like such a punishment as it does currently in Betrayal because it's the, my number one pet peeve of any board game is player elimination. Oh, yeah. And in Betrayal, especially, it can feel like a death sentence quite literally because you could be spending like half an hour just waiting there for the other characters to go through exactly. that just get a cup of tea up the back <laughs> one, one, of the, one of the times we played it because your movement around the house is defined by the speed of your character in like an RPG sort of system yeah and one of my mates was already quite slow like his movement was like two and he was playing an old man and on his first move he discovered the the chute into the cellar and when you drop into the cellar via the chute you lose one speed so he went from like two to one so he could only move and discover a new room like once on his turn and to get out of the cellar basically yeah to get out of the cellar you have to find the door you have to draw the door from the from the pile or the stairwell to get you back up so he spent the whole game just stuck in the cellar like (laughs) wandering around whilst we were like having this mad haunted adventure in the top and then he eventually died and was just like well i can't do anything she's through the bottom going this is rubbish yeah yeah so draw a card there yeah so for me like out of all the legacy games since pandemic um betrayal legacy has felt like the most um intriguing and um, and i think what's interesting about that is that is again it's a rob davio is is part of it and he was actually brought on at the end of betrayal's actual design phase to iron out a few things and try and shore lots of things up um so he's actually he's actually been involved a bit like with pandemic He's been involved with a lot of the like initial design process before he actually went on to make the legacy one. So I think maybe that's why he's been able to um, make more of a, of a leap with it as a as a product. Yeah, yeah. I, I have, there's a whole lot of games I kind of want to check out, and there's games that's kind of like on the list. And I've, oh, as I say, I've always wanted to dive into a kind of a legacy game. And if you're saying to me that you can play the game, change the game, but then don't necessarily have to come back to the mm-hmm. game again 
in order you you can kind of pick it up at any point because there's always kind of like a recap. You're just changing the scenery, yeah. As opposed to kind of changing the mechanics, and I think that's one of the things that always kind of that's again kind of like going back to Charterstone. You're building up the game from absolutely nothing in terms of mechanics up to something which is building your own version of a game. Yeah. So you can't kind of come in halfway through and try and pick it up, or you can try, but it'd be quite difficult. As I say, if anybody wants to send me a copy of Seafall, <laughs> do that, because I'd be quite happy to hit, I'd be quite happy to kind of, um, to kind of do that anyway. So it'd be all, it'd be all kind of fun. Um, you know, the other, th- the other thing, sorry, the other thing about Betrayal Legacy is that once the game finishes, that's your house to then play on with. Like that's your, you've created your house, you've created the artifacts, you've created the items that then go into your game onwards. Without the, so you're essentially building all the backstory for the game and then you're left with Betrayal at the House on the Hill. That's pretty cool. Hmm. That's definitely cool. Yeah. Is there anything else you're looking for? I mean, looking at in terms of games. I mean, obviously, we've just spoken kind of, kind of legacy. We've spoken about procedurally generated games. Is there? Is there? He says. Um, is there like a, a new thing, a niche thing, a different way of playing board games that we're missing, or are? Is there so many games out there that people don't want to just take the risk? They want to to have something that they can understand and 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 play quite quickly, and is. It's time becoming bad. I mean, this is for me, this is coming from I'm actually finding it really difficult to keep up with what people are saying is the next big thing. Yeah. Be that kind of like a Kickstarter or the next kind of release. I completely missed X-Wing Wave 2. I just, you know, I made a conscious decision. I just, I still got my X-Wing. I'm going to play with that if it means that we can still kind of bring it out and that's fun. I still got Armada sitting there, which I completely love to bits. And again, I'm going to kind of bring that out now and again, and it's all going to kind of be fun. I feel, even with me speaking to lots of people in the industry, speaking to people that are doing Kickstarters and stuff like that, I feel I'm missing stuff. I'm just finding it hard to kind of keep up with a hobby and I'm wondering if we're kind of accelerating at such a fast rate that we're maybe getting too much product Yeah, going no, out I, there. I, I agree with you and I feel I feel like as as a board game buyer, I felt like I accelerated a bit too fast initially when I was sort of building my collection and now I've, I feel like I've got too much. Um hmm. So that already puts me off when I'm looking at other things. I'm always looking at things with an excuse not to get it, which, and the excuse is usually, well, I've already got a game that plays a bit like that. So why do I need, why do I need this other game? Like, I really wanted to get Flam Rouge, but I already had K2, and that's a racing game. Yeah. And when you're limited for space and, um, not necessarily budget, but for a lot of people, budget is a bit is a big issue. It's a tough sell when it's just kind of like, well, I've got this one racing game which is climbing up a mountain, but now I've got this other racing game which is going around a peloton in a French cycling race. Yeah. Um, 
and for me, the way I think about my board games now, and this will be my approach going into the new year, is that I'd rather slim down my collection to a good core set of games that I'm always getting out and I'm always playing than have the big, broad selection of games that I've got now and spend half my time wondering, well, I could play that or play this and then I've got a game that does that and I've got a game that suits that mechanic. And So that whole the whole acceleration in terms of the product that's on the market now, I find that also really off-putting because I'm at a point in my collection that I'm already thinking I need to slim down, I need to get on top of it. I need to think about the games I actually play, the games I want to keep on playing. And probably once I've cut it down, then I'll think about, you know, other games to buy and other experiences to have but i've still got tons that i've just not even touched that i really want to you know play and play and play and i feel like just getting more is getting in the way of playing the stuff that i've already got um, it's a danger of becoming video gamish yeah you know a i um, i got um i got um my mom asked me what about it for my birthday so mm. i said that and she says, oh, we'll do your birthday and Christmas combined. So she says, I'll just give you some money towards something. I got a two terabyte drive for two reasons. Uh, one of them is I, I was uh, I wanted to back up all of the podcast files oh. um, just to make sure I've got everything. And secondly, once I'd <laughs> done that, that, once, yeah, <laughs> exactly. It was just <laughs> resting in my account. Uh, but the, <laughs> but the, the second reason was... Um, that I was determined to kind of download some some games onto my PlayStation 4 for easy access. And I went into my PlayStation collection. Now, I used to review games. So it's this is a number I'm not necessarily proud about, but it's also a number that I can p- put my hand on my heart and say there's a lot there that I didn't actually reach into my pocket to pay for. But there's 223 games wow. on my PlayStation download list. Now, there's a big difference. Now, if I... And if you've got that mindset and if you say, well, I managed to play some of them for kind of like even two hours each, that's still 400-odd hours you've got to put in to give everything a kind of a an introductory pass. I mean, yep. if you're saying five hours to give it an actual kind of considering your first thoughts, you know, that's 2,000-odd hours, you know. And... Um, I'm worried about the board games kind of going the same way that you end up with a lot of people, two sides of things, chasing stuff to have it, but not actually having stuff and enjoying it. And I think that's where we could potentially be with a hobby that people are just going to, you're only going to end up with the games that can shout the loudest getting the Yeah, it's, the it's, attention. Such, a, it's such a strange strange hobby because i i think that it is a bit similar to video games but it's a bit different because again you're just you'll just be playing those games on your own so if you want to dip into one of your 200 games for 20 minutes you can do yeah whereas um if you want to get a new game out in front of people that's something you've got to sell to those people and that's something you've got to teach to those people and if it doesn't succeed then that's a box that you've got to live with until you can sell it 
and yeah. selling games is not really the easiest thing to do. It it could be for some people, but I found it really difficult. Like I I got rid of some of my games recently, and I tried to sell them, and just, I just couldn't just couldn't get rid of them. No no one's wanted them, and so I just took them to a charity shop. Now I don't mind because I feel like I got from those games what they what I bought. Yeah, what I spent money on them for, I feel like I got that money and more back from them in terms of the time I spent with them, the experiences that I've had. But for some people, they probably wouldn't get that get that ratio right. So I think with board games, it's it's a strange ecosystem. And then there's the other thing where, so me and me and Chris, like we play two play games with each other a lot. Like he's probably the person I play games with um, a lot, and we kind of will have like a two-player game that we play constantly throughout the year. So at the moment we're playing Memoir 44. We've been playing that for like the last 18 months. Every time we get together, we do a campaign. We get into the end of the the, the campaigns that's in the books. And so now we're looking for, you know, what's going to be our next like big two-player game? Will it be Pandemic Legacy Season 2? But Or would it be something like V Commandos, which we've been looking at, which looks yeah. like stupid dumb sort of commando fun and if they want to use that slogan then they can <laughs> feel free copyright sam turner 2018 but, <laughs> but the nature of board games and the industry that it is is that it's most likely going to be that game is not going to be available by the time we come around to go and play it because unless you're right in right at the gate when a game is first released or made or kickstarted or whatever then you've not got a hope in hell of getting on board with the games that you want. So, and this is, I know we're kind of both getting on our soapbox about what's the problems with this brilliant industry with all these wonderful games that they make is that the only way to truly enjoy it is to spend money and to, and to get them and to get the games as soon as they're released, just in case one of them is that magical hit that everyone's going to want to be getting hold of. Um, and playing and it'll never be printed again um yeah so yeah it's not it's like a long tail you can't get a long tail on a lot of board games no it's like and if you want to get them back in you're either playing a ridiculous price or you're waiting for a reprint that could be ever i mean like you know video games i can it's really the opposite it's like sony's got a christmas sale on so this weekend they were selling spider-man um Assassin's Creed Odyssey and something else for like 30 quid mm-hmm. you know and then in January or February did you get Spider-Man? I didn't oh. I, well I had to step back because I've got 200 games to play because <laughs> <So> I, <could, laughs> I did sit there I just sit there and I went do you know what um, I, could, I could get this and I could have um, a lot of fun or I could go back and uh, I re-downloaded um, Mad Max and um, there's something exceptionally um, zen statey about that game that you can really? just because everything is kind of like driving for miles across absolute desolate waste. If you you can just point <laughs> yourself in a direction and just yeah, okay, you occasionally come across bad guys, but once you've cleared out enough areas, there's entire areas you can just drive around. And it's beautiful, and it looks like a stunningly okay. lovely, clear of anything type of game. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I'm tempted with Spider Man. I've had a lot of folk that are just saying, "Yo, Spider Man's amazing. You got to get it." It's I've brilliant. also heard people. I've heard people saying, "Assassin's Creed Odyssey is the best." Is using the Assassin's Creed name <laughs> the best way possible? And kind of, they're now kind of pushing the modern technology thing to say, "No, it's okay. We forgot about this bit in this game. You're just going to be playing as an assassin." So I've heard some really, really good, fantastic things about. About that, I probably will pick up Spider Man. It'll probably be in about six months when it drops in at like something like nineteen quid, and I'll go and mm-hmm. I'll just grab get the game it. And... Yeah, get the yeah. game of the year edition with all the DLC. And... Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But then on that side of things, yeah, as I was saying, um, I want that, but you know that would be really, really nice to say. On the other side of it, and I keep dropping this into conversation randomly even when I'm going to buy milk at the shop is I'd really like to play Heroes of Land, Air and Sea um, I think it's Gamelin Games that do that and the chances of getting a hold of that game is like never <laughs> because yeah. there's been, you know, it's the Kickstarter's been around and it's come around and then they did a second reprint with an expansion and I just didn't have the cash at, you know, cash at the time to to warrant buying it and now I, I just can't go on to a store and search for it well there is it's available but it's upwards of like 80 quid and I just yeah you'd have to sell stuff so it's a different kind of space it's I don't know where I'm going with this point I probably missed the point I thought I'm like you know I'm at the I'm the guy that's got like two bars on the petrol and he sees the services are in a mile or the services are in another 35 miles and I'm looking at it and going I think we can make 35 miles I think we can make 35 miles but anyway so that's the danger that we're you know but I, I don't know it's still very very exciting the problem is is it's like I'm missing out on so much at the moment. I kind of feel, you kind of feel, oh, I'm a real gamer because you see people kind of backing and backing and backing on Kickstarter. I just picked this. I just got this. I'm just playing this. But the people that only seem to be playing the games or all the time seem to be the guys that are um, doing all the videos and the playthroughs and stuff like that. You know? Which is kind yeah, of Yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult. And I think that... Um I think what we're all what we're all trying to say is that like it's very difficult to keep on board with like what is going on in the industry and and I think part of what my approach is going to be in 20 in 2019 is I'm still going to be you know very much keeping abreast of what happens and you know keeping my eye on reviews but I'm in a place now where and it's the same with actually my, you know, getting comic books and stuff like that, that I'm in a place where I'm really trying to sl- streamline the things that I'm buying and that I'm engaging with and trying to get the most out of what I've already got. And I feel like I'll get, I'll benefit a lot more from that as an as an experience. And if the right game comes along, then yeah, I might get it, but really has to be the right game now before i was just picking up games left right and center um and but now I've, it's it's got to be the right the right sort of thing for me to for me sort of drop any sort of money on it really yeah 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 it's the time investment you know what i mean yeah it's fine it's fine we'll see i'm still excited though you know there's still the stuff that's coming out <laughs> there's still stuff i've got to play Do you know it's like i played root Ding ding, like kind of like 
four or five games kind of like in quick succession because it's really, you know, if you're talking about kind of a, a game that has base rules that then can change based on the factions that you play, that's the game that you're looking for of so much yeah. replayability in that kind of game. It's absolutely um, it's absolutely fascinating. It's, it's really good. I'm just interested to see what happens and what games do the kind of do the distance, what games are still being talked about six months down the line, what games people are kind of referring to, because I see a lot of games coming out and then disappearing but then there's games that seem to kind of continue to keep being talked about and those are the interesting ones, so we'll see. Gloomhaven for instance. Yeah, you see that that is like, when that first came out, it's like the big thing was was like Oh, it's like a two hundred pound game, and it's massive, and it's in a big box, and it's Kickstarter, and all this kind of stuff. And now the dust has settled from it, and it's had a couple of reprints, and and it's like me and Chris turned to each other, and we're just like, you know what? It just sounds like an actually really decent like two player game. Like it sounds like something that we would really like to play, and and and, but that's what I mean about about the long tail is that like I'm I'm really interested in still picking up Flam Rouge because people are still speaking about it and people are still talking about it and and you know they're still enjoying out of it and that's what I want from a game I don't want to just pick it up and go oh that was an interesting mechanic I'm done with this now mm-hmm. um move on to the next thing um so but then there's no long. There's hardly any long tails, so getting hold of the games can be can be quite difficult. Yeah, it's all the excitement of Kickstarter and the hype and stuff like that, and then mm-hmm. as I say, people get the games, and it's like, oh, did you see that game? Yeah, everybody's given it rave reviews. It's absolutely brilliant. Where'd you get it from? Oh, um, <laughs> nah, you can't. <laughs> but that's but that's what I kind of like about when I when I'm getting games now for me. I'm much more eager, and this is more a space thing than anything else, is getting up like smaller games. And the last few games I bought were quite, were just small box games like Gantron Clever, um, Welcome to, um, Keyforge, which I ended up putting in a smaller box, The Mind, um, a lot of sort of the big hitters uh, that were mentioned at the end of, the end of like, the end of this year, I guess. But the reason that I picked them up was that, you know, they're small boxes, so they're a pretty reasonable price. I don't really have to worry about storing them. And I'm more willing to take a risk on getting stuff like that than I am buying a big box or something for 50, 60 quid. And then I'm stuck with it. (laughs) I know. I know. I just want to touch on um, something that um, I finished reading the other day. Um, reading? Yeah. Reading? Yeah. Um, Batman Metal. Okay. Uh, and because uh, it was on... It's taken you a long time to read that. <laughs> I, I kind of had everything except the last kind of... I think the last kind of two books I'd kind of do you know what I'd read I'd started reading White Knight oh yes you know which we'd we'd kind of mentioned I think we talked about like the last time the four of you were on 
And yeah. so I, I read that and I thought that was absolutely fantastic. And then I fell down a, an Agents of Asgard kind of trip. And then I was I fell in love with my life as a weapon. Yes. Hawkeye. And I read that as well. And what what did I send you in that care package? Um Swamp Thing, which I've started and um what else? Oh, Alan Moore Swamp Thing. Yeah, I I yeah. Zombie and also um sex criminals as well. <laughs> but then I went down a line of like reading um I read started reading Miss Marvel and Saga and there was also uh, mm-hmm. as I say Loki Loki agents of um Asgard and I yes I am pronouncing it like that. Um and then I realized that I was kind of like I went I got so lost in Batman metal and um um I it was wasn't that good. <laughs> The ending, it was uh, just a bit, it was just a bit like, but uh, I don't want to go back and explain Batman, but it's basically <laughs> about, oh, uh, just, I, I can't explain it. It's just about like metal, Batman, you know, there's been whole bits of metal through Batman and then it's caused this big bad guy to appear and then all these Batman from other places and dimensions, the dark side of Batman appear and they all fight and then it looks like the bad guys are are totally dominating and then the, obviously the good guys have to win because that's what they have to do but f- Whoa, it's tiring Sam I mean wow talk about not being able to kind of get to a point it's like mm-hmm. it's like I wrote the books really it's like I got to the end and they went well how do we finish it and it was like Bobby in the shower at Dallas oh it was all a dream mm-hmm. it was like Lost oh they were all dead spoilers for Lost um you know, but it was kind of like that. I just, I kind of, I kind of expected more and it completely confused me. And I remember you kind of like, you were excited about it. And then I kind of read it and now I was disappointed. And I'm not having a go at you. I'm just saying it was no. kind of like a bit of a disappointing kind of comic I didn't get at the end. And it was just like. I think hmm. your experience with it mirrors my own, really. We're very excited at the start. I think some of the work, um, character work, that Snyder puts into it at the start, especially with like the diff- all the different versions of Batman that he they created, the dark multiverse versions of him, um, were so were so strong that that that's what kind of drove the early sort of sections of the comic comic through. You know, so much so that Batman: The Man Who Laughs is getting his own six issue series now. Started, yeah, I saw that. Started on the twelfth, yeah. So, um, so yeah, so, but yeah, but then it, but, but basically then it turned into a Grant Morrison comic and I'm not the biggest Grant Morrison fan and started talking about interdimensional ships and (sighs) just just, yawn and here's a, here's a, here's a, here's a little ape guy and like, I just, I just went, I went to go see Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse the other day. I heard it's amazing. It's incredible. And um, one of the things about it is that it makes you realise what is what is great about comic books and why they're such a good um, medium um, in terms of like communicating ideas and story and kind of getting messages across. And you kind of see a film like that. And for me, it kind of reaffirmed what it is I love about comics. And then you go in and read something like like metal especially the last 
last editions of it and it just feels like such a like drudge like such like heavy lifting that the reader has to do that really you shouldn't have to do when you read a comic i don't i don't feel i think there's something there's something wrong in either the art or the story if you feel like you're having to do a lot of work with a comic book like a comic book should feel effortless i'm not saying that it shouldn't be it shouldn't make you think or it shouldn't challenge you as a reader but i think when the art and the and the and the and the writing are married up so well like it should feel like an effortless adventure like a roller yeah. coaster that you're going on as a reader um, yeah. and and the last few editions of metal really don't feel like that at it all. just do you know what it felt like it felt like i had ordered the most delicious chi- uh, chicken bacon salad yeah. somebody's sitting there in your bermuda shorts and your flip flops and your <laughs> my flip flops, my baseball cap, <laughs> right? Baseball cap. So, so someday, right? I'd, I'd ordered the most delicious salad, and then they'd put the celery in, so I'd eaten everything, uh. and I was like, "Oh yeah, this was nice." And then I realised that in order to get out of the place, I had to finish off the celery, so I then had to eat through <laughs> nine spoonfuls of celery in order to get through the very end and get my free dessert, and. Oh my word! It was like every you, you kind of felt every chew. It, I don't know. And then going back to like White Knight, as I say, that was that was that was effortless. Yeah, that was amazing. There was parts of that where I don't know if you you finished that, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was absolutely fantastic. It was just it was kind of like oh, I'm having a little bit of a. It was a, oh, it's a little bit of apple juice here, and then I'm getting a nice little bit of orange spritzer, and then somebody's finishing off some lemonade, and you know, yeah, I can keep dancing, and this is just fun. And then it just finished at the end, and you're just like that, whoa, <laughs> whoa, and then it was just that was just absolutely fantastic. It was brilliant. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it was really, really yeah. good, it was really, really good. Um, finishing off, go on, because I know it's because. I know we've kind of like gone. Do you know what? I just like the, these chats. We need to talk more Good. often. We do need um, to talk more. Um, you got stuff in your wish list for Christmas? Then are you getting? I mean, I know that obviously there's certain things occurring in your life, potential yes. life changing, joyous things. Um, but I mean, are you still, you know, being being a person that enjoys his, his games and his board games and his comic media? Is there something that's on the Christmas list so, that um, you would like? Um, See, so, um, uh, I'm just looking at my Amazon wish list now, and um, I've got some things in my in my comic book wish list. Um, I know you mentioned Saga before. Now, yeah. um, I got a lovely gift once from from one of my co-conspirators, Dan. Um, um, it's a big sort of volume compendium of saga and it's a big like thick like several inches like feels like a proper like heavy book and it's all been reprinted in these lovely like glossy pages and it's like the first 14 volumes or something ridiculous of saga um and so the second volume of that has been has been released recently early on in the year so that's sort of high up on my um on my wish list of um because I that that story is just incredible. I think um it's some of Brian K. Vaughan's best work after um Why the Last Man. Um but because I've got the first volume, now I've got to have the second volume and I couldn't just start buying all the individual 
like trade paperbacks again. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So hopefully, maybe that for, for Christmas. <laughs> um, you could just do that or I'll just release the podcast as quickly as possible. And then <laughs> what you could do is you just tell... You just you just tell your other half, go and just listen to this before you go to sleep. I know it's me talking, but there's an important bit at the end I'd like you to listen to. And by the time she gets to the point where she's drifting off, yeah, you could just say now, bye saga. <laughs> <laughs> um, in my in my other comic wish list, I've had some of the preacher tray paperbacks in there for ages. Mm-hmm. I bought the first two preacher books and love them and then um since then i've just not i just have just haven't kept on like it's been so long since i last bought a preacher book they've actually um reissued and restructured a lot of the tray paperbacks um but that is one series that i i would love to get back into again um and then oh i mean what else is in here in terms of like board game wish lists there's nothing that i mentioned v commandos and i've got a couple of like number nine and uh fungi oh yeah uh just a couple of like sort of relatively uh cheap sort of games just to like if i if i ever see them like drop in price then i'll <laughs> then i'll pick them up but cool. other than that like i'm pretty i'm pretty um pretty happy with 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 what I've got going on, like what what about you? Oh, um, I have um, I want some expansions expansions for Ashes, pretty much. Ah, oh, right, okay. Oh, That's right. you know that'll keep me happy. Heroes of Land, Air and Sea. If you're listening, um, <laughs> Gameland Games, please, please come on the show and then just tell me, you know, that you're never gonna send me a copy of that game. Um, Seafall, because I mean, it's you know, I mean, it's like buying, it's like when you're not feeling well and you want to watch some crap TV, it's like Murder, She Wrote So and you've got a cup of tea and you're sitting with a blanket wrapped around you. Just like, I'll just watch Jessica, Jessica Fletcher. I think you'd watch Jessica Fletcher, Murder, She Wrote, while wrapped around in a blanket and you'd crack open a game of Seafall and see how that went as well at the same yeah. time. I think that would be a fantastic, just a fun. And 25 quid, you know, I could go and get, I could get a Chinese meal and it would be gone within a couple of days, eventually. Um, <laughs> but like we're the same we're the same with um the other thing that's on my list is, is, is like i keep in there is just as many of the expansions for the arkham horror card game that have been released because that that game is just utterly utterly ridiculously fun um we did one uh a couple of days ago which is called the essex county express and it was on a train yeah, and I don't know if you've ever played the Arkham Horror card game, but it's a card game. So the environments that you <laughs> the environments, a name then. <laughs> the environments <laughs> that you explore are just depicted on cards. So when your investigator goes to a, a new location, you flip open the, over the card and you can do stuff at that location, and it tells you what other locations are linked with it. But they do some really just interesting things fantasy flight with how they with the locations they pick and how the cards are laid out so we just did one that's on a train so all the location cards were in a row so you Mm -hmm. had all like the cars of the train then you had like the engine and it was um a portal 
and uh, a, a sort of mysterious Cthulhu-esque portal had started had opened up at the rear of the train and basically all the rear coaches were getting sucked up inside <laughs> it so we had to like as a race against time had to move our way along the train to get into the um to get to the engine car in order to complete that scenario and it was just absolutely bonkers like i'm playing a jazz musician who just like how i role play it at various times you just you just sort of like start sitting there going <laughs> he's got he's got a power where he can just heal people with some of his tunes he's just like it's like i'm feeling lots better now jim thanks That's... and chris is playing this like agent carter-esque um, you've set the dog off i set the dog <laughs> off with my bad mouth trumpeting oh he set the dog off but yeah those the, in, in terms of, in terms of next year just getting more of those expansions done yeah um would be wonderful sorry poppy it's just my mouth <laughs> she understands that oh dear um thank you for coming back on it's Thanks. been an absolute pleasure. If people want to hear you on the internet webs, where can we find you on the internet webs, Mr. Sam Turner? You can find me at the Staying In podcast. So wherever you're listening to this on, you will also be able to find the Staying In podcast. Um, at Staying In pod on Twitter. I'm at Mr. Sam Turner on Twitter, um, which really all I do is just tweet about games i've been playing and the staying in podcast so it's <laughs> pretty much which a, is absolutely a, thoroughly worthwhile listening to it's absolutely fan thank you fantastic i love it a lot the dog um, loves it yes absolutely <laughs> they definitely do um i think i'm going to have to do a staying in ending okay because um, we, <laughs> we did a staying in beginning um i'll just do the cut when i go um just listen okay just we'll just okay. I've, got my, I've got my glass again okay right ready I'm just gonna and that was We're Not Wizards with Richard Simpson and guest Sam Turner if you have enjoyed the show this evening please check it please feel free to check us out on the podcast catcher where you get your podcasts and leave us a rating or review otherwise if you'd like to tell somebody that maybe hasn't listened to the show before to drop us a listen that would be appreciated if you've got any questions for the show you can email us on magic at we're not wizards or you can check us out on our website which is we're not wizards.com we're not wizards.blogspot.com and you can also check us through twitter and facebook if you search for we're not wizards um, thank you for listening and good night brilliant see see fantastic Professional. Fantastic. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Say goodbye, Sam. Goodbye. (laughs) And that's a goodbye from me. Goodbye. A wizard is never late. Nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. (laughs) 